All right, so now we're going to pick up in verse number 32 tonight. And in verse 32 through 34, Paul gives some advice to the married and to the single up against their motives. So verse 32, he said, I would not, I would have you without carefulness. Now, this is Paul's way of saying, like we might say in our time, I don't want you to stress, or I don't want you, I want you to be free from anxieties. Now, certainly the Christian life is never going to be totally free from anxieties, and this is not Paul's point. Paul's point is, my teaching on marriage and singleness, I don't give it to you to add extra bondage to your life. Don't make this a legalistic thing. Don't make, don't make this something that you, you hold people under your thumb under with these verses. The, the cares of life in regards to being married or being single are, are burdens enough, and they can unnecessarily hinder our service to the Lord. So Paul says here, in, in my instruction to you, and what I'm asking you to do or not to do or in telling you what is good, what is bad, I want you to be without carefulness. MacArthur says a single person is free from concern about the earthly needs of a spouse and therefore potentially better to able set himself apart exclusively for the Lord's work. We know that to be the case. Now he goes on then to explain that the unmarried cares for the things of the Lord, how he may please the Lord. So I would have you to be without carefulness. He that is unmarried careth for the things that belong to the Lord, how he may please the Lord. Now, this doesn't mean that all unmarried believers actually do give themselves without distraction to the Lord. How many of you can remember that are married here tonight, before you were married, were you solely focused on the Lord or were you solely focused on some other things? Any of you guys in here, before you fell in love with a lady, you were in love with a car? What we want to mis not misunderstand here is that Paul is saying singleness is the prescription to good, strong Christian living. And he's going to address the married here in a minute and say, well, you guys are no better. In fact, you have earthly hindrances. So there's a, there's a balance here, and for sure there's some perks ministry-wise to singleness. So for those who could exercise self-control, then singleness would be a blessing from the Lord and they must not avoid that blessing and being able to exercise their self-control and remain single so they could solely focus on serving the Lord. This is Paul's ultimate point here, as he says, I would like for you to be as I am, which we believe him to be single. But it's not a prescription to fervent Christian living. It's going to come with its own uh, set of issues. It's going to come with its own set of problems, but then it has its own set of blessings. The unmarried... We usually have more time. They will usually have more resources to devote to a life of Christian service. And this is what he is saying here. He that is unmarried careth for the things that belong to the Lord that he may please the Lord. And he offsets this with those who are married who have to be distracted with the things of the world to please one another and to, to make a home there. Verse 33, Paul addresses the married. But he that is married careth for the things that are of the world how he may please his wife. So married couples are concerned about cultivating their marriages. They're focused on satisfying their spouse's needs and desires. And this is a vital part of the marriage obligation. Paul never once makes light of this. He never once says, and see, they're so focused on that that they're not serving God the way they should. In fact, Paul in other areas, Ephesians chapter number 5, will directly uh, address this. He says to the wives, Ephesians 5.22, submit yourselves unto your own husbands, as unto what? The Lord. 
So we would put it the other way. We would say just as much as you're focused on your husband, you should be this much focused on Christ for the sake of your Christian walk and your faith. Paul did it in reverse there, didn't he? He said just as you're focused on your husband, you're focused on your husband should be just as much as your passion is toward the Lord. He does the same thing to the husbands in Ephesians 5.25. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ loved the church, and he gave himself for it. The, uh, I just heard Chuck Swindoll quoting Harry Ironside. Don't take it from either source. Harry Ironside said that a man came to him and said, I'm worried that I've made an idol out of my wife. And he said, well, how are you making an idol? I love her so much. And he said, well, do you love her as much as Christ loved the church? And he said, well, no, not even close. And he said, well, you got your work cut out for you then. You're for sure not making an idol out of your wife. You're not loving her enough because you're supposed to love her as much as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. So Paul is clear here and then more so in other passages of Scripture to the married, that we should be working toward a good, strong Christian marriage. Don't ever put your um, relationship with the Lord up as opposed to your marriage. God made man and he made woman for man and he put them together for a reason. And he put them together to strengthen one another unto him. So for those of you who are married, it's not one against the other. It's these two come together for that singular purpose. It's very possible to serve the Lord fully and still be pleasing to your spouse. This requires living together in the Word. This requires living together in prayer, in the leadership of the Holy Spirit, and its service together. And that's a blessed thing when you have that. Many have found that a satisfying marriage and a happy home is a wonderful encouragement when the difficulties of life come about, especially those difficulties that come through our Christian service. If you ever study about Charles Spurgeon, you will find that, I, I don't even know how to put a percentage on this, a large part of Spurgeon's success was due to his wife, Susanna. If you go into studying about why do we know so much about Charles Spurgeon, it's because as hard as he worked in the pulpit, his wife worked doubly hard at home, making sure people got those resources. She made sure that the young preachers he was teaching had money, that they had books. She would write down his sermons and make sure they got sent to places she did a large part of the work that, that you all now know as the great ministry of Charles Haddon Spurgeon. But it was his wife, Susanna, who was doing a lot of this behind the scenes. In fact, if you study about Spurgeon, you'll find that he was kind of a miserable guy. He was depressed all the time. He just didn't feel very good about himself. And there's a whole lot of reasons you can get into on that kind of a thing. But it was his wife, and, and they together kind of became the powerhouse that we know of as Charles H. Spurgeon, but it was Charles and Susanna together who did this thing. So there's a blessing of marriage. Now, verse 34, Paul makes an important distinction. He says there's a difference also between a wife and a virgin. So these are terms that I think it's important that we can lay out in Scripture. When he talks about virgins, he's talking about single people who are never married. When he says unmarried, the unmarried woman this is someone single by divorce. And then he also talks about widows in this passage, which would be single by death. So you're single, never married, or you're single through divorce, or you're single through death. Those are the three that Paul lays out here. Then from there, he gives similar advice directly about the women that he's given for, we would presume, the men at this point. Now, as you read it, it just comes across to the singles and the married. He doesn't really say to the men, but now he directly addresses the women. But I think it's safe that we apply this to the men as well, men. So the unmarried woman cared for the things of the Lord that she may be both holy in body and in spirit, 
but she that is married careth for the things of the world, how she may please her husband. So she cares for the things of the world, how she may please her husband. He also adds an instruction on holiness that is applicable to us all. The unmarried is worried about her holiness in that she wants to be pleasing to the Lord in both body and in spirit. I want to quote you Calvin here. He says, when he says that she may be holy in body and in spirit, he shows what kind of chastity is true and acceptable to God. When the mind is kept unpolluted in the sight of God, would to God that this were more carefully attended to. And I would amen Calvin on that. So just as one unmarried is to be physically chaste, we should also strive to be so spiritually toward God. This is Paul's point here. It's not this, well, if you're unmarried, then you need to make sure that in body and spirit that you're keeping yourself pure. Even as married in body and spirit, we should be keeping ourselves holy, pure, right before God because we want our relationship with him to be as it should be. Richard Pratt offers some more helpful commentary here. He said, is the duty of unmarried women to refrain from fornication, to be devoted to the Lord in body as well as spirit. This was probably hard to do in the loose world of Corinth, particularly for those who had once been part of the promiscuous crowd. Keeping pure was certainly as stressful as it was difficult, especially for those who thought their acceptability before God depended upon it. While a married woman had an outlet, she also had the added worries of nurturing a relationship with her husband and of fulfilling her household responsibilities. So Paul is laying this out in his response to the Corinthian church. I'll quote you, William MacDonald. I hope you have a believer's Bible commentary. Maybe the next time we purchase a bunch. Last time we gave out the MacArthur commentaries and the prayers of the Puritans. Maybe we do the believer's Bible commentary next time. Good, good one volume, concise commentary on the Bible. MacDonald says, the expression that she may be holy both in body and spirit does not mean that the unmarried state is more holy but simply that she can be more set apart in both body and spirit to the work of the Lord. She is not essentially pure, but her time is freer. So all helpful commentary there. Now that brings us up to verse number 35, where Paul is going to address and clarify his motive in these writings. He said, In this I speak for your own profit, not that I may cast a snare upon you, but for that which is comely, and that you may attend unto the Lord without distraction. He doesn't mean all of this to put any in the church under bondage. He says, I'm writing this for your profit. And he's clear that we're free to marry, we're free to remain single, but that our service to the Lord should remain primary in all of living. So just as we would pray about who we should marry and where we should work and where we're going to live and what church we're going to go to, Paul says probably when you're, you're in these positions, you should also pray about should I marry or should I stay single? This is something that he, he brings to the, to the study here. Now, I'm going to tell you, in studying this, I've dreaded it. But I, I was reading through Warren Wearsby today, and he, he put this note, and it made me thankful that we are studying these verses. Let me read what he said. He said, It is a fact of history that both John Wesley and George Whitfield might have been better off had they remained single. Wesley's wife finally left him, and Whitfield traveled so much that his wife was often alone for long periods of time. And that's a sad thing to think about, isn't it? Two of the powerhouse preachers of just recent days gone by in the grand scheme of church history, and both of them had poor relationships with their wives. So we have Paul's teaching on marriage and on 
singleness and certainly things we should take to heart. Now, as we continue on, Paul gives some advice to parents. And I will say to you, chapter 7, verse 36 through 38, some of the most um, commented on verses of Scripture in all of the Bible, because it's just the, 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 the interpretation is just kind of all over the place. I'm going to give you the chance, Strickland take, um, to tell you who else, whose side I'm on here. Calvin is here. MacArthur is here. So I think that's pretty safe, right? Now, there was some other, Swindoll was here, so that's a good one. There's some others who are not there. In fact, other English versions of the Bible won't even read the way that I'm going to interpret this to you tonight. They'll, they'll change up some of the nouns in here to kind of help you understand who, who else this should be talking to, and, and I just disagree with them. I think that uh, what I'm going to tell you is how Paul meant it. I think these verses are instruction to parents. Just think about it. He's writing to those who are engaged or thinking about should I get married or not get married in regards to some particular situation he wrote about early on, chapter 7, verse 25 down. Now he's going to address their parents and say, now if you're the parent of these kids, here's some advice for you, okay? Now with this, not only do we get clarification, but this is where I want to bring us back to are we thinking properly about marriage and singleness up, up against the culture? Are we doing it biblically, or are we just doing what has been the right thing to do? And for those of you who went through, Preston taught us a couple summers ago, Family Driven Faith by Vody Bauckham. Some of you who went through that with us, you'll remember that he, he got us here too, and it was kind of shocking to us, some of the things that he talked about, like arranged marriages and these kinds of things. But I, but I want to present to this to you as a biblical point of view. So he says in verse 36, if a man think that he behaveth himself uncomely toward his virgin, if she pass the flower of her age and needs so require, let him do what he will, he sinneth not, let them marry. Nevertheless, he that standeth steadfast in his heart, having no necessity, but hath power over his own will, and hath so decreed in his heart that he will keep his virgin, doeth well. And 38 is the clarifying verse. So then he that giveth her in marriage, who gives any girl in marriage? The dad. So he's talking to the dads here. Verse 36 through 38. But he that giveth her not in marriage doeth better. So Paul's writing here can seem foreign to us because our current culture differs from those of Paul's day. I promise you they did not have eighth graders going to prom in Paul's day. They did not have 16-year-olds going on dates in Paul's day. Uh, and, and the ages here might be off. I want to give you the thoughts of the ages in our day and the maturity level there. And they had 16-year-olds in Paul's day getting married, right? different. They were adults and might, might have died by the time they were 40. My point being, they did not have kids doing adult things. And I want to discourage you parents and you kids who are in here tonight to, to, to avoid the entrapment of the modern society's version of this. You don't have to be on social media. You don't have to have a boyfriend or a girlfriend. You don't have to be going on dates. You don't have to do any of this stuff. In fact, something we learned from the book that Preston taught us was this practice we have of boyfriend, girlfriend, and then they break up, and then there's another boyfriend and girlfriend, and then they break up. What are we actually conditioning the kids to learn how to do as adults? Divorce. It's problematic. It's not helpful. And I'm, I want you to see that it's not biblical. Paul writes here as if the father has complete control over his daughter. Now, some of you who had mean dads, you don't like that, but this is a biblical thing. Now, you can get into all of the hairy weeds of is it a Christian dad or not a Christian dad and all that? I get it. But he's writing to the church, and I'm preaching to you, the church, 
and with the assumption of Christian mom, Christian dad in the home who are, who are raising your children. Now, some will say these guidelines are to be um, not used within our current systems, but I think we're missing a blessing of this time of life because we're using the world's wisdom instead of wisdom from the Bible. And so Paul is clear here that he's not giving a command, but he is given some Holy Spirit-inspired wisdom. So, verse 36, If any man thinks that he behaveth himself uncomely toward his virgin. All of the pronouns there lead you to understand that the father has complete control over his daughter, especially in regards to his daughter's marriage. Now, I want you to note that within the context of what else Paul has been talking about here. Those of you engaged and thinking of not getting married due to the current situation, that is okay. Those of you unmarried, it is okay if you get married, right? That's kind of the point he's been making. It's important that Paul clarified then here in verse 36 and the end of this letter, this portion of the letter, that this is still as the parents would grant. Just because Paul, the apostle, has written to the church and answered this question and said, if you're single and you're thinking about staying single or if you're, you're betrothed and you're thinking about getting unbetrothed, right, or get married, either one, that's fine, but don't go using the apostle Paul's words up against mom and dad. Mom and dad still have the say-so. But I think that's what Paul is saying here. Now, we don't always operate this way today, but in Paul's day, a man exercised rigid control over his home. Men, I would encourage you to still exercise rigid control over your home. It's not always comfortable, but I promise you this, when you do it, the lady that God has put into your life will respect you for it, and your relationship will be better because of it. Women are sick of sissified men. Ladies, that's when y'all are supposed to all say, Amen. Amen. Yeah, there we go. You're sick of men who won't lead. They're sick of men who just won't make a decision. Just make a decision already, buddy. We're in the car. We're on the way. Just decide. This is what we're going to do. And it's an important thing to do. Now, what has drawn us away from that in the church is because for several years there, especially in fundamentalist churches, men were just mean. They were down toward women. They treated women like they were second, right? And that's not what we're trying to get to either. There's this wonderful complementary relationship between husband and wife where we each fulfill our roles and one stays in their lane and the other stays in their lane and it works. When I do pre-marriage class with children who want me to marry them, it's one of the things we get into is the expectations you bring to the marriage and where do they get their expectations from? With the future bride, where is she getting her expectations for how her home is going to be from? her mama and her daddy, and he's the same, and they came from different homes. Now, these two are going to become one and have their own home, and he thinks it's going to be like it was in his house, and she thinks it's going to be like it was in her house, and what's that going to lead to? They're going to fight and fuss, and she's going to cry and call her daddy. No, maybe, that, maybe it won't happen like that. Here, Paul is clear. It was up to the dad whether the daughter got married or not, and the daughter wasn't to marry without the dad's permission. So we understand these verses to mean, and this is biblical wisdom, we understand these verses to mean that if a man refuses to allow his daughter to marry, that is a good thing, but if he allows them to marry, then he is not sinning. Now I'm going to lightly apply this and then we'll get to exactly what Paul is saying here, because some of you dads in here with daughters, I can tell you're needing to hoo-hoo-hoo real fast. If daddy don't want her to marry that, that joker, 
then daddy's biblically in the right to say no and put his foot down, and she can be mad until she's blue in the face, but dad's right, and he knows more than she does anyways. All right, got one. Preston, where you at there, brother? You got a lot of this coming in your life at some point. <laughs> Me and Steve, we don't know anything about any of this. We're just hoping some of you guys let our sons marry your daughters. <laughs> what, what Paul is directly dealing with here is if the father wants to commit his daughter to celibacy. Now, that's a little stricter, is it? It's not her choice, Paul says here. He says he can make that decision, and she should follow along. That's exactly what he says in verse number 36. So in verse 37, he's going to lead this to a, a, a different understanding, and this plays into the father-daughter relationship. If she gets to that time of age and she says, Dad, I really want to get married, but he's already made this vow. Paul says it's not wrong for him to break that vow because he made it for her, and really she's got to do what she feels like the Lord wants her to do anyways, and it's okay if the father agrees and says, well, I made this vow up to this point, but now we're going to stop, and you're going to go ahead and get married. All right? So it kind of lets him off the hook there. Let me read you MacArthur on this. He says, apparently in Corinth, some of the fathers, intending devotion to the Lord, had dedicated their young daughters to the Lord as permanently single, when daughters became of marriageable age he insisted on and insisted on being married, their fathers were free to break the vow and let them marry. Calvin holds the same view. Calvin writes, He now directs his discourse to parents who had children under their authority. For the greater their attachment to their children, so much the more anxiously do they exercise fear and caution on their account. Paul then, with the view of relieving them from this difficulty, teaches that it is their duty to consult their advantage exactly as one would do for himself when at his own disposal. And the other side of that matter comes from verse 37. Nevertheless, he that standeth steadfast in his heart, having no necessity, but hath power over his own will, and hath so decreed in his heart that he will keep his virgin, he doeth well. So should the daughter decide the same as the father, then there's no need for that change from verse 36. And then verse 38 clarifies all of this for us as he says, so if he gives his daughter in marriage, he does well, and if he give her not in marriage... Then Paul, and, and then Paul is biased, right? He doeth better. Paul says, I wish you were all unmarried just like me. So this is Paul's consistent take throughout. You're okay to give your child a marriage, and you're commended if you don't. He goes from there in verse 39 to 40, and he gives some advice for widows. Verse 39, as long as the wife's husband lives, she's legally bound to him as wife. And upon his death, the marriage bond is severed. And she has the freedom to marry another believing man. That's the important thing there. It needs to be a believing man. And then in verse number 40, Paul again suggests that widows consider devoting their single years to the Lord's service. So for those who are single, would be single, this is a, an encouraging chapter there because Paul's very much on your side. All right, I gave you these last time and give them to you again tonight because Paul gives us several points on marriage expectations for the Christian. So let's remind ourselves of these. Verse 25, Christians are to be sexually pure entering marriage. It's sinful for us not to be. He also teaches in verse 25 that Christians should seek wisdom on marriage from other faithful Christians. Should I marry or should I not? Should I get married to this person or should I not? How do we come up with that? We read the Bible, we pray, we follow the leadership of the Holy Spirit. We talk to Christians who've been married a long time. And we trust their wisdom on these things. Verse 26, 
Christian marriage, marriage carries a great level of responsibility by all parties involved. The, the, the man has a role, the, the woman has a role, and these things work together when everybody does their part. Verse 27, Christians can both be married and remain single. Not one or the other is in and of itself more or less sinful or makes you more or less devoted to Christ. I think Paul made that clear all the way through. Verse 27, he also taught that married Christians should not seek a divorce. Uh, verse 33, 34 gives this principle. Married Christians are to care for and please one another. And you married adults in here, you can let your brains go wild there, but that's, that's what we're supposed to be doing for each other. It's important that we care for and please one another and how we spend our time, how we spend our money, how we spend our talents, what we're doing with our lives. This is a big part of it. Remember Ephesians. As Christ loved the church. That, that's that's the, the, the level of intensity we're supposed to go to in this regard. Verse 36 through 38 taught us that fathers should take a major role in the marriage of their children. And, and you need to understand what I'm, my premise on this. When I say fathers, who's a given mother? Because these two have become one flesh. When I say fathers take a major role, that doesn't mean mom goes and sits in another room while dad and daughter figure out who she's going to marry there. No, mother and father are one. And mother and father shouldn't do the monthly budget separate, and they shouldn't plan on who's going to get married and who's not separate either. You should do these things together. Now, wives, you've got to be in submission that way. Men, you've got to earn her respect, so she'll want to be in submission in that way. You can't not lead all the way up until your teenage daughter decides it's time to get married and then decide, I'm going to put my foot down and be in control of this because mama nor teenage daughter will go along with you on at that point. But if you'll lead in where we're going to go eat after church tonight, and if you'll lead over what we're going to do this weekend, if you'll lead over what our Christmas traditions are going to be, and this is how family worship is going to be in our home, etc., when it comes time for a teenage daughter to get married, they'll gladly go with your wisdom on that. It's a wonderful thing. Verse 39 teaches us that Christian marriage is intended to last a lifetime. It also teaches us that Christians are to marry other Christians. And then Paul does give us some great insight here on singleness. From this, we can all take away some exhortation toward time management in regards to our relationship with Christ and our service to him. Be content with the place God has for you at this stage in your life and make the most of it. Young person, if you're not of married, marriage age, don't get yourself off into the, the mental real estate spending of married things. You're, just, you're wasting these years of your life. You have the whole rest of your life to be married. Enjoy this time of your life when you're not married. Be content with the place God has you. If you're an adult and you're single and you feel like this is where God has you for, maybe you're widowed or maybe you're single for other reasons, and you don't feel like God would have you to get remarried, well, be content where God has you for in this stage of your life. If you are married, be content with where God has you for in this stage of your life. Secondly, focus your priorities and your energy to devote yourself to God first and to his work first, single or married. Devote yourself, your time, your energies to God's work first. Let everything else be secondary. So be content where, where God has you. Focus your priorities and then be fulfilled on the many benefits of putting God first. If you're a married couple and you put God first, you'll never be disappointed in how that blesses your marriage. If you're single, you're putting God first, you'll never be disappointed. And on and on and on it goes. So whether God has you single or married, be devoted to the master's service, and you'll get the most out of your life.